Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. My name is Jimmy Zabo and I'm here thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA and the Footy Live app. What a podcast we've got for you today and what a round of footy we had over the weekend. It had a bit of everything, some upsets, some thrashings and a whole heap of controversy too, which we will cover later in the show. Speaking of a bit of everything, make sure you download the Footy Live app, which has everything you need as a fan of the game. It's got stats, live scores, even the scores of the VFL and NAB League. It's got highlights, news, podcasts and plenty of opinions and even some of mine are on there so don't forget to give them a read and send abuse to my twitter account which i always enjoy uh also hashtag the gym session if you'd like to get involved in the show we had a few messages come in from last week's pod so i'm glad a lot of you enjoyed the sandy roberts interview and also glad most of you disagreed with gordon's takes once again uh, I often do. Uh, he'll be back on the Monday Review panel on a Wednesday with Nick Gulamino. And yes, we are back on a Wednesday. And as we speak, the AFL has confirmed, uh, despite the, the COVID-19 numbers, it has been confirmed that there will be crowds at this week's games in Victoria, uh, except for the St Kilda v North one, uh, because who the hell wants to go to that? No, no, that was a joke. Uh, but the circumstances are changing rapidly, so it's hard to know what the future holds. Uh, one thing we are certain of, though, is that our guest today is an absolute star. It is Brody Holland. We are lucky enough to have the 155-game superstar from Frio and Collingwood come on for a chat about his career, life outside of footy, and I might even ask him a few questions about the Pies, who have hit the headlines pretty much every week since last year's trade period. Uh, latest problems though have been around the board. So Mark Corder's appointment has obviously stirred up a few people including Jeff Brown who wants to join the board. Uh, their latest member Bridie O'Donnell can't even vote on the board and their ball movement at the moment has left us all bored shit. No, no, it hasn't been that bad. It uh, hasn't been great, though, even they'll admit that, I think. Uh, But they did put up a fight on the weekend against Port and went down by just one point, and uh, I'll ask Brody about that as well. A lot of other teams are struggling too, including my Tigers, which we'll talk about as well, don't worry. And uh, But there was a lot of positivity to talk about as well, so we'll get to that. Uh, We'll quickly get these puns out of the way because it is a long-distance phone call. It's coming from Holland. Uh, Brody will be on the line straight after this wonderful round recap of round 10. Yes, Jimmy! Round 10 started where 2020 finished, at the Gabba. Although this time the fans will be lying if they said they were expecting the same result. A bit of tomfoolery got Richmond's linchpin to give the Tigers an early lead, but it soon changed as Brisbane made sure they were faking into the distance. Being rich made teammates happy, Robbo got down and dusty, while Richmond got high marks in arts but forgot about their Matheson homework. Reese was the barometer, giving Brisbane clean air in fourth place. Lions by 28 points. Blue skies on Saturday attracted the Navy Army to the MCG. Nick looked like a new man. Sard was happy with 26 disposals, while Walsh and Doherty gave Hawthorne a Sam sandwich. Skills weren't great from either side, but that didn't mean Carlton lost their bets. Reeves got a game but couldn't cause bodily harm. Hardigan did, though. Maybe it's his life, Kyle. In the end, fans sat in the sun and enjoyed their crackers and crips. The skipper helped them to a 23-point win. Suns rose for a bit in Geelong, but who would block them out in the second half? Salwood. Cats fans felt numb with a condition of narkel tunnel syndrome, impossible to take their vision away from Quinton's 34 disposals. Gold Coast King tried to rule the forward line, but it couldn't make the margin Brad close enough. Geelong with a comfortable 34-point win. Demons were hot early, but there was no slowing down for the Crows. 
Oliver's twist helped him to an incredible 38 possessions and three goals, but it was Adelaide's bend that was the keys to success. Seisman planted his foot on the game also, and Walker was even running. Did the Crows mean to win the game by one point and cause the upset of the season? Some would say it was deliberate. The Saints let the dogs out at Marvel Stadium and literally chased tail for the entire night. It was all downhill from the first few minutes for St Kilda, and not even steel or a strong battle could help them get out of first geary. Beveridge's hot dogs were sweet while Hunter was a collector. All mids got on top and also had the chance to wag their tail. The only downside was a damn injury to Trelaw. Everyone was cut, especially his auntie and ankle. Western Bulldogs by 111 points. Swans had a buddy to lean on in the dying stages of their clash with Fremantle, but his six goals couldn't beat Frio's five. Sydney found out a lob shot is stronger than a McLean hit, and David made sure we were all thinking about Monday on a Saturday. It was a wet game, but that didn't mean Dawson enjoyed the creek. He had 31 touches, though, <laughs> but that wasn't the point. Dockers won by two. Giant upsets are becoming a thing for Leon Cameron, who is now happy to say he's a mummy boy. Shane had 10 hitouts, but made sure West Coast Nick was not a problem. Green shoots, green scores could be heard twice, uh, but West Coast couldn't even beep their hern. Simpson is getting homesick after another gaff, especially because they thought she'd be right. He wasn't. GWS by 16 points. In the Magpie Derby, one team on the field was behind prison bars, but the fans of the other side probably ended up there after extreme celebrations. Collingwood fought hard, but their ball movement wasn't very crisp. It was a main problem, and Darcy needed more support. John was noble, but three goals of grey made the scoreline a good read. People are saying the buck stops here, but we all know there's still one quarter left. Caught by one point. Finally, it was a special Sunday for the entire parish to enjoy as Darcy made the right decisions to win on merit over North. Cunnington had a bit of the ball, but Big Cox became exposed. Hooker loved it, as did the fans, who were excited that Adrian Dodoro was actually correct in hindsight. Punters got their tipper right as McDonald kicked three and Essendon flew up to 11th place with a 72-point smashing. Wowee. Okay, today's guest is one of Collingwood's biggest fan favourites. His creativeness around goals, commitment to the club and passion he played with was admired by members and appreciated by footy lovers around the country. This man went from a dynamic small forward to a tenacious tagger and ultimately a magnificent mid. He played 155 games during his AFL career for Fremantle and Collingwood while becoming an off-field sensation through modelling, acting and media work. He wore his heart on his sleeve on the field of play, but off it, he didn't really have sleeves because his shirt was always off. But he's become an admirable entrepreneur, adapting, learning and inspiring to support his wonderful family. It is my great pleasure to welcome Mr. Brody Dutchy Holland to the gym session. How are you, Brodes? Oh, I'm very good after that uh, introduction. I feel amazing, actually. It's, it's very good for the ego, that little intro. Thanks very much. Uh, I should, appreciate it. No, nah, no worries, mate. You should feel good. You're an uh, entrepreneur, like I mentioned, MC, PT, footy coach, property expert, influencer, father of three. Do you get any time to rest, Broads? Um, well, well, I'm not too bad at the moment, but yeah, with the, with the kids um, these days, it's, uh, it's always pretty busy, um, but um, there's always something going on. There's always something to do. So, um, but life's good. 
Yeah, that's good, mate. Uh, it seems like you, you adapted well to life after footy, but I feel like you're very good at adapting to nearly all situations you've faced uh, throughout your time and, and conditioning yourself to different circumstances, which I heard you, uh, you speak about a few times. It started when you had to leave Tassie at 17 years of age to go to Perth to play for the Dockers. Now, I think you said you're a bit of a self-confessed mummy's boy at the time. Uh, <laughs> how, did, how did you find living on the other side of the country away from family? Oh look, yeah. Look, it was a, obviously I knew that when I if I if I got drafted, I was going to have to move anyway. So that was something that I was conditioned to. I wasn't like I was a Victorian boy that had to move west. So at least I had that initial thought in my head that you know if it happens, I'm I'm moving. I have to go over the Bass Strait and at least go to Melbourne, uh, potentially somewhere else. And obviously went to the Dockers and WA and. Um, look, it was a great move. Obviously, I was very homesick there at um, at different stages pretty early on in the piece, but I enjoyed my independence as well. Um, you know, I, was, I got fairly well conditioned to the, the the amazing Western Australian lifestyle pretty quickly, and uh, some, we had some fun times over there. Didn't win too many games of footy, <laughs> let me tell you, but we had a great time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, three years was probably enough over there, and, you know, the club wasn't really going anywhere at that stage. Uh, in a few, in, in a, a number of different areas, and uh, I thought if I was, you know, really going to have a crack at having a, a serious football career, then maybe I have to move back to the uh, the home of football and find, and find a big club to work with, and, and it worked out well. That's right. Well, you, you said they weren't going anywhere uh, really at the time. Was that was that due to the culture, or I know you said it was a pretty difficult time in in, in terms of yourself because of um, you know fitness wasn't really your forte growing up, which I found hard to, hard to believe. Um, but adapting to like the hard training style of Collingwood was much different to the Dockers. Was the culture a bit laid back and and didn't train that hard? Is that accurate to say? Um. Oh, yes and no. Probably the the, the, the training hard component. Uh, I actually thought they trained a lot harder than Collingwood, believe oh, it or okay. not. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we used to get absolutely poleaxed in, you know, 7K, 10 June runs and getting up at 7 a.m. for uh, big, long training sessions and, you know, swimming 2K, 2.5K in the pool after you've already had a massive training session. Um, you know, when I barely could... I, I don't think I'd even learn to swim by that stage. Um, so <laughs> there was they were crazy on the training, um, but they just didn't have the quality. Number one, the quality of players they had a good, a good group of young players, but they're, they're top end sort of older, experienced players. Were okay, um, they're okay leaders, but they just weren't quite good enough, and we weren't learning enough from enough um, leaders. Look, they had a couple of good leaders in Chris Bond and, and Adrian Fletcher, and. And so forth, but uh, you know, other than that, there wasn't a lot there. Uh, leadership is the key. They didn't have enough of it, and and, um, and yeah, the culture was wasn't great. You know, we had I had uh, Jared Neesham as a coach in my first year. He was uh, really quite a, a good coach, but it was very laid back. Uh, discipline was an issue, and then Damien Drum came into the fray. Discipline was strong with him, um, but yeah, his hard nosed approach didn't suit the laid back um, sort of mentality of the players. It, it just um, it was a big drinking culture, a laid back culture, uh, have fun and social type culture, and it kind of felt like that winning games of footy came second to uh, having a good time in a lot of ways. Um, but um, yeah, but obviously it was a young club and they were just learning and getting stuff together. I think they took too many of the Claremont crew into the first lot of you know uh, the first 
phase of, of building a football yeah. club. They should have got, I think, some established, you know, AFL representative, a little bit like GWS did with Kevin Sheedy. Then maybe they should have got someone like that that understands, been around long enough and, and knows what it takes. Uh, and I don't think they had enough of those type of people to, to get it up off the ground initially. Yeah, mm. no, that makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense when um, previously you've said that, you know, whatever the current playing group is doing, when a young player comes in, they just condition themselves to that, that those circumstances. So it becomes That's like right. habitual for them. So what were the circumstances like at Collingwood then? What sort of culture did you walk into then? We'll be back after a quick break. Yeah, look, it was a complete um, culture shift, really. Like, you know, walking in the club, um, you know, and um, discipline strong straight away. You know, the way they do things was specific. Um, the training was, you know, obviously it wasn't as hard, but it was, it was kind of smarter, not harder. Um, you know, it was specific to what I needed as a, an individual. Um, you know, the culture was really strong. We had from the get-go, even in 2001, we had 15 new players at the club. The culture was real strong and there was a real sense of motivation and do whatever it takes. Um, and, uh, and that filtered into the, obviously, the next couple of years, 2002 and three, when we made grand finals. So I don't think we had... Um, well, I think we had a very good team in both of those seasons. But, you know, in both seasons, you could probably say, you know, we had the fourth to arguably fifth to, to eighth best team and we made grand finals in those years. So, um, so it was all about, you know, playing as a team, being selfless and that was our culture, really, just yeah. a ruthless approach um, to footy and, and to the way we played our game and, and that's obviously what uh, pushed us into those grand finals in those particular years. So, yeah, it was a bit of a culture shift but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the change, I enjoyed the challenge. And I also enjoyed playing in front of 70, 80, 90,000 people at the MCG versus the 17 and a half at the Super Yakko. That was quite good too. Yeah, I can imagine, mate. And, and, and they loved you pretty quickly as well. I mean, you kicked 28 goals in, in 21 matches in 2001. And 2002, mm. you had a brilliant start to the season. I think it was 11 goals in two games. But that second game, you kicked eight against West Coast. Mm. Uh, I think that was Chris Judd's debut as well. Uh, where does that game sit for you? What are the memories of that? Oh, obviously, it's the best game I've ever played in, in my life. Just for um, uh, look, I, I think everyone has those games once a year where just whatever you do, just or it just works. No matter what you do or what you try, the ball just seems to fall in your lap. And that was one of those days for me. Look, I was very fit at the time. I was actually dropped a heap of weight from the year before. and really lean. And, and um, I actually got a bit too lean. I think at that stage, when I ate that day, I was 76 kilos. Uh, when I, I used to play at 84, 85 the year before. So I was really, really fit but um, and uh, had a day out. But that's probably the worst thing I could have ever done because I got tagged for the next <laughs> three weeks and hardly touch a footy. 
But and I didn't handle it well because I just didn't have the body strength uh, because I lost so much weight. Um, so, um, but yeah, it was a great game. Obviously, you know, obviously uh, Chris Judd's first game as well. You know, he played a, a massive game in his first game. We thought this, this, this guy's going to be a player, and um, yeah, it was, and after that, really, I didn't do too much for the rest of the year because I did a hammy. I was out for six weeks, and the form was pretty ordinary fresh you know, for the first few games after that, and. Uh, I ended up going a bit pear shaped, to be honest. After that, I wish I hadn't have done it now. <laughs> no, I was just kidding. It was a, it was a good day out, and um, you know, it would have been nice to have replicated another couple of times. But unfortunately, uh, uh, I think my next best was four goals after that. So, uh, but definitely a day out, one to be remembered, and one I show the kids. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, of course. Well, it didn't matter too much about the goals, I don't think, because you moved then in the midfield, but. Um, you missed mm. out on that first grand final. It would have been really hard. Yeah. Is it true that uh, the boys went to Mexico for a players trip, but you cancelled? You went to Thailand with your partner and trained every day because you were so angry of missing out on the <laughs> yeah. grand final. Is that true? That's pretty much right. I think uh, the boys were locked in. I think they had twenty-eight confirmed going to Mexico <laughs> together, Cancun, and no, all looking forward to it. Now, obviously, if I played in the grand final, I would have gone. But yeah. um, I just, yeah, I was pretty. Pretty peeved that you know I didn't really get that opportunity to play any finals all the grand final when I thought I was good enough to be in there and um, didn't get a look in at any stage and so I just thought you know if I want to continue developing and getting better and you know it's not in my best interest to be going on a footy trip and getting you know getting uh, smashed with the boys for for a week or more um, so yeah I booked the trip with the uh, the new misses um, and uh, we went to Thailand yeah, for I think a couple of weeks and. And yeah, I just trained every day. I got up every morning and went for a three k uh, run as hard as I could, like a high intensity three yeah. k, and then straight to the gym. I ate really well, you know, all the uh, Thailand sort of uh, you know salads, uh, Thai beef salads, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And I, I, I vividly remember coming back and getting stuck into training again. And one of the players walked past as I was on the scales and getting my skin folds done. And he goes, "Where did you go for the off season? Did you go to Ethiopia or something? Did you?" And <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was pretty fascinating. I got real, real long, real fit. And I think shortly after that was the first time I beat Bucks in a time trial oh, at, yeah. around Princess Park, and uh, that, that that sort of made made my day. And I knew I was sort of uh, starting to to obviously uh, make ground with my fitness at that stage, and that really gave me the confidence to to sort of uh, go on from there. Yeah, so you, that confidence, you, you went into Mick Malthouse's office, didn't you, and just and asked him, I want to play in the midfield. <laughs> How mm. did you get the confidence to do that? Yeah, in look, I spoke to Mick yeah. in that pre-season about playing mid. He goes, yeah, yeah, we'll give you an opportunity where we can. Played a couple of games in the um, in the off in the pre-season cup in midfield and did okay. Yeah. And as soon as round one came about, I was straight back to the fourth circuit again. Um, and play there for, uh, I think, round one against Richmond. Um, and I thought he was suspended for a one-weeker. And, and then, because oh, I played an average game round one, they put me in the twos. And I'm thinking, where am I going? There's a footy here. This, after getting myself so fit and uh, in great shape, getting stronger, what, what am I going to do? So then I went back to Mick and I just, you know, we had a really good chat about it. I said, look, I know we've tried to put in the midfield. There's some good midfielders already there. Uh, how about... I do a run with them, we're tagging, you know, I reckon I could take, you know, the best opposition midfielder out of the game. Um, and he said, look, get yourself in good form in, at, um, at Williamstown in the twos and if it happens, you know, we'll, 
you know, and your form's good, we'll put you in that sort of role when you come back in. So I went back to Williamstown and with Brad Gotch, who guided me through that um, process and helped me with it as well, um, I started tagging actually guys in the VFL, you know, which felt a bit weird because I felt like I was better players than a lot of the guys that were tagging, but it was great. It was a great experience. Um, playing hard-nosed approach type of game and working on them and working off them and, and getting a bit of footy as well. And got my confidence rolling and, um, yeah, got selected, I think, I don't know what it would have been, around six or seven by that stage and then played every game for the rest of the year But yeah. um, and didn't miss a beat after that. So I played, I think, in my first game, playing a dog on the name of Matty Bode and took yep. him out of the game and then to Shane Crawford and that yep. was very challenging. But he's still got a bit of footy, but I did pretty well on him considering... And then from there, I just felt like that Shane Crawford game, when I tagged him, it was nearly like it gave me the confidence to be able to go to anyone else because he's the best runner in the game and yeah. was the form player of the comp. And it just gave me the confidence to be able to run with any player uh, after that at that, that, that time. And um, and then obviously we were playing some really great footy 2003. You know, I think we won 11 out of 12 at one stage. So tagging in a team that's winning like that, it's... Um, it's a hard job tagging, but it's easy when you're controlling your footy, you know. So I was lucky enough to be in, in a winning team that was playing full of confidence and controlling the footy, and I could just, you know, go about my role with real confidence. Yeah, no, who was the, who was the hardest player to tag then? Uh, <clears throat> Crawford would have to be up there. Yeah. Um, and that, that year, that, obviously I was still fairly young, at, you know, at that stage and still building my fitness, and mm. uh, he was just a gut runner, and he would run from forward the back pocket, back forward pocket at a real high speed. Yeah. He never walked. He fast jog was about the slowest um, he, he would run, but he was in that sort of three-quarter pace all day. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was tough. Um, you know, obviously played on Song Black. He was an amazing footballer. Uh, Akamanis was a great player. Brent Harvey was one of my hardest opponents. Um, you, know, you know, high speed, you know, runs all day. You know, hard, hard, very hard to stop. And some players are really good players. Chris Judd, you know, he towed me up at uh, the Oval um, in a half, uh, one game. And so uh, he, was, he was probably the toughest because he could run like Shane Crawford, but he was even quicker, you know. And so um, he was, you were always on. I felt like I could like stay with him in terms of fitness, but then when the ball arrived, his speed would be electrifying. He just couldn't go with it. You know, I was quick, but he was express, <laughs> you know. And so different level um, so yeah so he's probably I would say he'd be just about the best um, that, I, that I played on hey grand final day um, you, you end up playing in the 2003 grand final so you're mm-hmm. in your spot you played well um, but the, the side did lose does that still stick with you does that still hurt thinking about it now yeah it does a bit <clears throat> I did a few things actually pretty ordinary that week or um, in terms of my preparation I'm talking about look I had mm-hmm. the parents over for two weeks which you know, you just talk about footy the whole time. You win a prelim, they're in your face. And uh, not that they did anything wrong, but it was just like you had people around home all the time, media around, talking footy, footy, footy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the perfect preparation for a grand final would be to take your team and go go to Dalesford or go to the Gold Coast or go, go away somewhere for four or five days and you don't have to watch mm-hmm. the media read newspapers, you know, talk to everyone and anyone about footy. You just want to sort of clear the mind. Um, so I reckon I just, uh, you know, burnt me out mentally a little bit uh, those couple of weeks. Uh, plus, I did a few things on the training track, probably a bit worked a bit too hard. 
when it should have been freshening up on the training track a little bit. Um, and I'd, I'd probably learn a few things. That's why I wish I had a play 2002 yeah. to experience it, to understand how you need to prepare yourself for a grand final a bit better. Um, and that would have helped me in the year after. But obviously, I only got one, one crack at it and it didn't come off. And yeah, look, you, you think about Look, I don't think about it too much now, but you know, those few years afterwards, more so you think about it. Um, I only think about it now when I go to the footy and I have to buy my own ticket on occasion when I'm a life member. Yeah. <laughs> the only time I think about it, uh, because that would have been nice to be able yeah. to play um, in a in a winning premiership, number one, do it with your mates and, yeah. uh, you know, your, your name and your team goes down in history, but also um, even better than that, you, you know, you get to be a life member of the club that you love for That's the rest right. of your days. Um, and so, um, but... Um, yeah, look, it's it's a, it's a tough one. It's hard, but um, you know you get over it after a few few years. It takes a while, and then you just move on with life, and you start to understand that you know as important as footy is, and how special the game is. Um, there's more important things to life, like family and kids, and you know life goes on. Yeah, know? yeah. Hey, be- before I ask you about Collingwood, because I wanted your opinion on it, um, can I ask yeah. you about uh, on the field? You're a bit of a sledger, weren't you? I mean, I remember an incident <laughs> in 2002. Kane Corns, I think you were sledging each other uh, all day, and then he gave you the finger when the siren yeah. went. Yeah, can you tell me about that? Yeah, it was a bit of a funny one. We were both fairly young at that stage. He was a bit younger than me, a couple of years younger than me. He might have been 20. I was sort of 22, I think, 21, 22. Um, and, um, yeah, I was pretty much playing with a lot of the games. I was a half forward. He was half back. Um you know, he was pretty close checking. He was very fit. I was struggling to get off him a little bit. So, you know, it was a bit of argy-bargy here and there. And next thing you know, we're having a few words. And, yeah. um, you know, he's having a crack at me. And I think I said something about, you know, the old chestnut where you, where you tell a bloke you're only getting a game because of your old man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably the oldest sledge in the book. Um, it's not very original, let's be honest. But it's still one of those, if you're the person on the end of it, it, it really probably does annoy you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then we'll just enjoy each other for the rest of the game after that. And then they got over the line, I think, for less than a goal yeah. in the end, I think, in that game. Um, and I was really, look, I'm one of those that I'll do anything it takes to win yeah. uh, to help my team get over the line. But at the end of the day, no matter what you've done to me, I don't really care. I'm just like, shake your hand, look you in the eye, appreciate the game, yeah, all the best. And I was just about to walk over and shake his hand. <laughs> and he runs past me and uh, sticks the, uh, the old middle finger up, um, which was which is a bit of a surprise. Um, yeah. But, um, look, uh, you know, ironically, not ironically, but, um, you know, Kane actually apologised uh, on radio. I'm asking you, I think, uh, not too long ago about that. He's not yeah. bad about that. Um, and it's probably, you know, not in his character to do something like that. Um, so, uh, but, but anyway, that, that sort of stuff happens in footy, but it's, it's funny how some people react to different situations. And I think if he had his time back in, he'd probably uh, take that one back. Yeah, yeah. That's right. He did, yeah, he did, he did bring it up and apologise for it. He felt bad for it. But, um, yeah, there you go. Funny story. Hey, did, um, outside of footy, though, you did your media, you did your acting, you did Neighbours, Dancing with the Stars as well. Out of all those, yeah. what was what was your highlight of the media work? Oh, I did, did, Dancing with the Stars is definitely a highlight. But that one's just, you know, it was the point of the show, you know, we two million viewers. I think it was serious two or three, I think, from memory. Um, yeah, the height of the show, and that was when everyone was just watching it, and it was just so nerve-wracking. Um, but 
just great fun, you know, from a, you know, really point of view, just, you know, being on camera, learning how to speak to the camera, meeting some other, you know, other celebrities in TV and, you know, uh, singers and this, that and the other. And mm. just kind of like a rock star for 10 weeks, you, you know, just being involved and getting limousines to, you know, to training and to, um, to, from, Promotions or appearances, it, yeah, it really is going to just gone from a, uh, a footy player to, to a rock star overnight, and uh, um, it was great fun. It was a great experience, and um, learned a lot from it. And um, yeah, you know, I just uh, I'd say that'd be number one. Neighbours wasn't too great. I'm probably the worst actor of all time. Um, and I looked at that. I've looked at that a couple of times, and a couple of mates sent it through with laughing emojis and all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> that was probably the corniest thing that I've ever done. Um, uh, but it's funny to look back on now. But look, I, I wish that you know I had a probably lasted another couple of two or three years in the AFL system because I, I thought. You know, once I'd retired shortly after all of that, I started to get better at talking and doing mm. emceeing and, and um, you know, I reckon I would have been a lot better in the media um, if I had the opportunity, you know, in my early 30s. But obviously, I wasn't great in my mid-20s. I you know, go back and watch the tapes and the Dancing the Stars. Now, you know, I struggle to put two words together on camera. You just get, you know, I used to get really shy in front of the camera, whereas, whereas now, you know, you've had that experience. So, um but, um, but, yeah, look, I did learn a lot, and that was, yeah, Dance of Stars was, was uh, fantastic. So you, you said um, you wanted to get back in the AFL system um, previously in a coaching capacity. Would you would you rather pursue that, or did you want to do some media? What What's next for you? Yeah, look, probably not media. Look, I'll probably um, go into journalism or something to get back into that now. I think time's passed too much. I have been coaching local footy for the last 10 years. Um, look, I, I've thought about AFL. I've thought about AFL, Europe League, uh, and coaching that capacity. And it's something I've still got in the back of my mind, something that I wouldn't mind going in that direction at the right time. Life's good at the moment. I've got a good balance um, with coaching, with family, with doing some little you know, online advertising stuff that I do on the side as well and so forth. Um, you know, I'm happy for it not to go in that direction at the moment, but it'd be something that I'd look potentially look into in, in future if, if the opportunity comes. Um, and you look, I'm doing all the courses and, and all the rest of it, make sure that I'm in the right place if an opportunity comes my way. Uh, but look, now that I've been out of the system for a period of time, I'd have to probably get it back into VFL or, um, or NAB League before AFL again, even though I've played AFL, because the game just changes so much, coaching philosophies and uh, game plan blueprints and all the rest of it. It, it, it does change very quickly. So, um, uh, but yeah, look, I would never say never. Something that I was probably pretty keen on a couple of years ago when COVID hit um, and a few things happened and, mm-hmm. you know, your lifestyle changes a bit. You start to think that, you know, um, I'm in a pretty good place now where I am and you know, I'd be happy to do what I'm doing for the next few years. But yeah, like I said, yeah, um, it's in the back of my mind. Let's see what happens. Mm. Mm. That's right. We'll mm. be waiting with anticipation, mate. I hope you get into mm. it because a lot of your philosophies I love and I love you speaking about um, coaching and uh, and the different things that have helped you motivate yourself and others around you. So I hope you do get into it. Um, Broge, just quickly, mate, I've got a lot of Collingwood yeah. mates, um, uh, including Frankie, who you did that Disney Channel ad with yeah. all those days yeah. uh, ago. Uh, I wanted to hear, uh, they want to hear from someone not directly connected with the club, but someone who understands the ins and outs of Collingwood and someone who's passionate mm-hmm. about it. Can you just explain sure. your thoughts on the current board situation? Oh, uh, look, oh. 
I'm not, I don't get delved into the board situation, administration side of things. And, and to be honest with you, I, look, I, I, haven't, I haven't been really talking to a lot of my ex, uh, the ex-players and mates over the last sort of 12 months or even six months as well. So it's kind of been, you know, in my own little bubble um, and watching a few of the games, and that's about it at this point in time. So it'd be really hard for me to sort of, you know, talk about that. I mean, the whole Eddie, Eddie thing, you know, I think, you know, the media just pressured him so much that, you know, I think Eddie just goes, you know what, I'll take one for the team and, and uh, I'm, I'm out of here, yeah, you know, and I think that it was just too much pressure, um, unfortunately. So, um, you know, he was going to f- retire at the end of the year anyway. He probably thought I'd take one for the team and I'll just retire a little bit earlier and you know, do the right thing and make sure I take the pressure off the joint. Um, that's pretty much how I see that unfold. I think, you know, Eddie's a good good person and, and a good football person and a great family guy, a great businessman. You know, he's gone on record saying he's not perfect, but, you know, he's made mistakes, but he's probably done a hell of a lot more good than bad, let's be honest. Um, and, um, you know, I just I feel, feel for him. Um, so, but, you know, all the other stuff in terms of the current board situation, I'm not completely over it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, but look, hopefully we can turn it around. Obviously, it's been a tricky year for the Pies, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah it has been. been um, yeah, we didn't see it coming. We thought it might be tricky without Trelaw and those other couple of boys, but we still would assume we'd make the eight at least, and it uh, hasn't quite happened for us. Yeah, do you, do you see a, an issue with the game plan at all or the talent? Uh, not the game plan. Look, uh, everyone sort of, I mean, when you're losing, they hone in on the game plan. It, they do like the short kicking game, the possession game back to the centre, and um, you know when they do attack the game, you know they they can bring the likes of the Tigoes and and uh, Jamie Elliott and so forth into the game a bit more. Um, I, I would like to see them take on the game a little bit more than they have, but look, I'm pretty happy with the game plan that they've got. I just think they're probably three or four players that I've seen where they need to be at the end of the day. Um, you know, and they've, they've lost three or four pretty handy players. Yeah. Um, you know, in the whole scheme of things, it, I think what they've done, it looks bad now in terms of, you know, having three of the better players leave the club and then obviously only winning, uh, you know, they won this year, only um, two games so far. Um, it looks bad, but I think... You know, when we look back in three years, we'll go, geez, I'm glad we took those five kids in that draft in that year, which is supposed to be one of the best drafts we've seen in the last 20 years. You got, you know, the locks of, you know, McCreary and Poulter and, and these guys coming through. Um, they're, um, they're, they're very good players and they're playing well already in their first year. Um, I think those, they'll be your core group players. In five or six years' time, they'll be your core gun players like, you know, your Pendlebury's and your Dale Thomas types that come through all at once, your Dane Swans and Didax and those guys that come through at once. They'll be your main, our main players that we build a team around. So, um, we don't have a crystal ball right now, but let's, um, let's give it a few years, I, I think. When were we going to win a flag with Trelaw and Stevenson? Oh, I'm not sure if we were. Uh, anyway, um, so it's going to be tough. Maybe we just have to have another year or two to reset and go again. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, let's let's see what happens in, in another couple of years. That's it. So I guess by that response that you're happy with Bucks coaches in 2021 and beyond? Right. 
Oh, I would say so. Yeah. He would just be, you know, he'd be any better than Bucks. He would be, you know, the most professional and hard-working coach and intellectual coach you're going to find in the, in the game. Um, you know, you're only as good as you play at the end of the day and he's been playing four or five kids every most weeks, mm-hmm. you know, that, and not just four or five kids. We're talking about guys that have played between one and ten games uh, a lot of the time. Um, don't forget Gainer and Noble in their second years of, of uh, footy as well. So you, you've still got, yeah, we've got some top-enders like the Sidebottoms and, and Pendlebury's and, and Grundy's that have been around a long time, but you can't win a flag. You can't make top four with four or five kids that have played less than 10 games of footy. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, I don't care how good you are. Um, baby Bombers, maybe. <laughs> but they, even those guys were first, second, third. Year play a lot of them are second and third year players rather than you know first half a dozen game plays. So, so uh, I think we'll be all right. You know, we've made mistakes. Oh, there's no question. You know, there's been some mistakes made there in terms of recruits and payments and things like that and the other. But you just got to you know what's happened happened. We we had a crack at the flag. We didn't quite get there. Let's move on and hopefully uh, those those kids we picked up in this draft and the year before and and the year after are going to hold us. In for the year to come. That's it. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure Frankie and the Collingwood fans will be happy to hear that. So that was brilliant, Broads. Good yeah. stuff, mate. Hey, uh, to end off the fun stuff, all right? So whatever comes to your head yeah. first, you, you you answer 10 quick questions, all right? Sure. Here we go. All right, favourite food? Oh, jeez. Uh, you put me on the spot here with that one. There's so many. So, so many. Hey, best takeaway, KFC, 100%. KFC. Uh, yeah, best takeaway is KFC. Um I do like a Chinese honey chicken too, uh, or a um, honey prawns. <laughs> some, some good Chinese. Some good Chinese, love it. Favourite teammate of all time? Uh, Paul Medhurst. Nice. Uh, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Bali. Bali. Uh, you've got a Sunday afternoon free to do whatever you want. What do you do? I oh, just hang with the family. Mm, nice family man, good. If you, Maybe uh, go for a nice little bike ride around the river and a coffee at the boathouse. Yeah, they're nice. <laughs> uh, if you could coach any AFL team at the moment, who would it be? Melbourne Football oh. Club. Oh, are they a little tip for the flag? Could be. Could yeah, be. I think they're looking pretty good. Uh, who's your idol? Sporting idol. Growing up, I used to be obsessed with Carlton growing up, believe it or not. Yeah. So like Stephen Silvani. Stephen Kearney and my absolute favourites. Nice. Uh, mm. Your favourite quote? Favourite quote? Um, ooh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. <laughs> I like that one. I'm sure you use that at the footy club a lot. I like that. Oh, it's, it's very cliche, that one, but it's so true. It you know, I've used it a few times. Um, <laughs> uh, what makes you angry? What makes me angry? Uh, politicians. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good. All right, the last Say one. Say no more than that. That's it, that's it. We had a little chat before the mm. show about and mm. uh, I agree with you. Hey, uh, the last one, your favourite song of all time. Ooh, favourite song of all time. Jeez, yeah, that could be uh, one, of, one of a few. Um, oh, I like a song called Black by uh, Pearl Jam. Probably one of my my favourite, I'd have to say. Under the Bridge, Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's one of my all-time favourites as well. 
Good one. Love it. Hey, Brody, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, mate. I really appreciate your time and uh, giving us an insight into the career uh, that you had at the Pies and Frio. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much. Good man. All the best. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Got it quickly to Holland. Brody Holland around the corner. That's not bad. That's a start for Brody for a great kick by Holland. Here's another goal to Holland. Rocker, Holland, the danger man. He's got five. Can he make it six? Here's he can. Saw Brody Holland. For goal number eight from 40 metres. Oh, he has it. And the Magpies winning by the barest possible margin. A one-point victory to the Pies. Good boys, bang. The Monday review panel on it's actually Tuesday, so we're gonna admit we're we're recording on a Tuesday today. It will be released on a Wednesday due to technical difficulties, but um, that means if you're listening and uh, and we talk about the MRO, we know that the decisions tonight at the tribunal will be made. If if Holman doesn't get off, you'll find me in front of AFL protesting. Um, boys, welcome to the show. Another big week, another big episode. How are we? Good, thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> Good to be back, and I'm quite happy on this Tuesday review panel. Why? Hawks got because smacked on the weekend. They, they did, but I'm used to it, like I yeah. say every week. But you know why? Why? The Tigers. They're the back Tigers in their lost. rightful place of ninth. <laughs> oh, there you go. Good to see. Look, he takes pleasure when other people are upset. That's really... Good to see. Gordo? Are you well? I'm okay. I'm yeah. okay. A um, bit nervous about, you know, potential lockdown and nothing's changed oh, yet, no, obviously, in Melbourne. But, yeah, you know. Yet. Maybe when you're listening, we'll be in lockdown. Who knows? Who knows? And in which case, we're glad that we can help you through it. That's but, uh, right. We'll let's get try. on to those hot takes that make we'll some try. people angry at us for a good reason. You know what would uh, would help us get through it is hearing about a hero, Nico. Give us a hero from the weekend. It had to be Zach Bailey on <laughs> Friday night. Just, just rub it into the rub salt into the wounds yeah, of Jimmy go. over here, but he he was brilliant. To yeah, be fair. he's been brilliant recently too. Yeah, he's had a great season, but four goals was the cherry on top of what he's done this season so far. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean he's been in the system for a few years now, but looking back at that draft, um, I think it was Cam Rayner that went at number one, and um, Zach Bailey went at fifteen, and. It's just amazing to see, looking back on hindsight, you know, Zach Bailey, probably if you reorder that draft, he would probably be in your top five looking back at some of those names that were picked. I'm not going to go through them all, but, yeah, he's 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 definitely, you know, yeah, he's reaching star level now for the Lions. Definitely. And all Lions were stars on Friday. It was a tough, tough, tough game for the Tigers, and they bullied them, I thought. Well, they stood up to the bullies, didn't they, on Friday night? Did you get upset about the Lions' so-called arrogance? No, 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 I didn't at all. Yeah. I actually, I like that because you've got to find ways to motivate yourself. And um, the, the past two years, they've failed come finals. So fans may look at that and say, mm. hey, maybe this is the edge that we need to stand up. And Richmond, in the past couple of seasons, they've found that edge that they want to be the bullies. They're a little bit rough or, um, you know, they do things on the edge. You know, not a lot of people like that, but Brisbane did it to Richmond. So if that's the way they could, and it worked, didn't it? They did their homework, they on, did the their homework on the Tigers. On how to tackle well. Dusty. Especially um, Matheson, the barometer. Jeez, yeah, he was huge. A, yeah. Gordo, who was your Lost hero? himself a bit, that bloke. Go on, <laughs> go on, Gordo. A bit like yourself, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, pot kettle black there from Jimmy, but that's okay. <laughs> My hero was the big mummy. 
Big oh, mummy. Yeah. You are a mummy's boy. Mark of the week as well. Yes. Which is uh, nice. Give yourself a favour. Check out the hilarious press release from the Giants. Don't know who does the Giants socials and comms, but uh, it did a good job with that one, having a bit of fun at the airtime from the big mummy fire. Mm. Did you know that the Giants have a 100% winning record when the Mono Fire plays games this year? There you go. This That's year. how much of an impact speaking, the Rocks are Speaking of barometers, he yeah. is definitely one for them. Them and Toby Green, and obviously Toby Green's missing for a while now. Mate, they've got heaps missing. Let's just say this. Canelio, Daniels, Davis, DeBoer, Keith, yeah. Kennedy. And they're still Perryman. getting the job done. And mind they you, are. he was going up against Nick Nat as well. That's right. I mean, Nick Nat got... Got the hitouts, but but he didn't get the hitouts to advantage, and so Nick Nat was under his average. He averages eleven hitouts to advantage. He got that brought back to eight, mm. but Mummy basically plays as like a negating midfielder who takes oh, the, yeah. takes the hitouts. So yeah. basically, his his role, and he's actually got some pretty in depth pieces out there. If you want to read them about it, is basically I'm there to coach the midfield, especially now with heaps of their um, regular players out. Lots of youngsters there. He's like, I'm coaching them on structure. I'm coaching them on setup. And then I'm there to nullify either their Ruckman if it's like a knick-knack situation or basically I'll take the tap out, win it if I can, and then find the most aggressive midfielder and then take them and well, it's like yeah, most of the time tackle them into the, uh, into the earth of the earth of the core. That's it's been like, the biggest chat. Sorry, Nick. Okay. No, that's all right. I was just going to say, yeah, it's like going up against the bull or an ox in the ruck. You know, yeah, he's man. just such a unit. But he yeah. is a unit. Be like yourself as well. Not about <laughs> mummy, about you. Um, yeah, I was going to say you owe an apology to Leon Cameron because you said he was cooked. You were ready to sack him at round two. I think a lot of people were, but the, the, the biggest difference now is their clearance game is back. Their contest game is back. Then in From round four, they're number four in the league for clearance differential and points from clearance differential as well. Last, It's better than last year as mm. well. I know it was a great year last year, but they were 13th in that category and ninth in that category. So this year, since round, round two, they've really stepped up and we mentioned all those players they're missing. Leon Cameron, you need to pat him on the back, Gordo, because well, you wanted him out. Do I need to pat him on the back or does he need to think about – so when all these other players come back, that was the issue last year. They had all their guns in and the guns didn't play for each other or for the coach. Now that it's all the youngsters there who are hungry and fresh and they don't, they haven't heard the same tired voice, they're obviously like, Let, let's go. Let's, it's our time to shine. Let's take it with, with some mature heads like, like Mumford. So what's going to happen then when, when they hopefully get some of their key players back? I like – is it Caniglia going to be able to play under? Well, you'd hope so. Cameron again, or you'd hope so. It just feels fresh at the Giants. That's exactly. what it is. Exactly, fresh so, vibe. And I hope you hope that. I mean, they are what you hear is that they are a close knit group there. So that'd be part of it as well. It's not like they're sitting on the outside hmm. just uh, parting up while the other boys are working hard. They're still part of the group. They're still part of the culture at the club. You'd you'd hope that they'd be able to fit in. But um, yeah, they've taken Richmond's spot in the top eight, and. Hmm. Uh, I mean, they've got a tougher run home than the Tigers do, so maybe it'll change pretty quickly. We'll see. Hey, Nico, what was your highlight? My highlight had to be the performance of the Bulldogs. Mm. Uh, they were brilliant. Uh, keep it short. The the biggest story is obviously how poor the Saints were, but let's spare a moment and shed a light on how good the Bulldogs were. We're going to say a silence for the Saints. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to oh, that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get to that. that. <laughs> yeah, we will. Um, but, yeah, 39 scoring shots to eight. That is as oh, big ridiculous. of a demolition as we've seen this year and yeah. probably over the last few years. And the rest of the stats, surprisingly, were pretty similar, as in disposals. But the biggest one uh, for me was the Clangers. Six, uh, Saints had 65, which is... You know, it's bad, but it's not a, like a, a irregular number. Yeah. Um, but the dogs only had 34, which is almost around half the amount of what the Saints had. So their efficiency was 
outrageous yeah, and ruthless, um, weren't they? Yeah, that's it. And they they were on top in the clearances, and they had sixty nine inside fifties. So that's just mm. that's an incredible number. Yeah, your favorite number. And Gordo, <laughs> it, it, the best thing about that is that they put the foot down, didn't they? Because sometimes teams get on top, and when they just go through the motions, they just put the foot down and hammer them. One hundred eleven points which is yeah. it was incredible. But the one thing, Nico, I want you to look at here is points differential from turnovers, they're number one. Points differential from stoppages, they're number one. No surprise with the midfield that they've got and the pressure they apply. Those two stats at that, this time of the year, every team who have, who have been number one in those categories has made a grand final. So you can almost pencil them in and say the Bulldogs, if they're playing the way they are now, they're making a grand final no matter what. I think they have to be they're the team to beat at the moment. Yeah. Friday night's going to be I mean, be we're going to awesome. find Friday night, and I want to get to your quick tips later, but, yeah, yeah. Daddy was a good one. They were incredible. Gordo, what was your highlight? My highlight was Tex Walker's hug. <laughs> so, obviously, Adelaide brought down the pretenders at other Melbourne Football oh, Club. Oh, the hug to the crowd. Yeah, yeah that absolutely. was good. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, so yeah. He's, he's he's roughly probably 25 metres off the boundary when the funnel siren goes. Yeah. Everyone, everyone erupts, and then for some reason, he just I don't think he knows that bloke. <laughs> yeah, I, no, just saw, I just saw I just saw a pop on my Instagram feed. It was, it was a bit of a James Heard moment. Bit of a James Heard moment, it but was, it, was it didn't just give him a cuddle. He he tried to pop the head off this oh, this, no, this spectator. Bloke. It was a big yeah. old hug, and we've seen we actually haven't seen Tex Walker tackle too many people, but uh, that tackle was it very was loving, a loving embrace, and good to see he's, people yeah. enjoy footy. You know, he's been through a tough couple of years oh, since yeah. the grand final loss. He's having a special year. He's having a special year. He's enjoying his footy. He's giving back to the fans. And it's yeah. that's why you play footy and that's why you watch it. They were, they were courageous, the Crows. I loved that performance because they, like, they took courage um, and risked it through the corridor, which you want to see. It was mm. exciting footy. And they were, they were brave enough to go stuff it. We turn it over, that's fine. Let's go through the corridor. And Matthew Nick said at the end of the game, they made a conscious effort to lower the eyes. So you know you're playing against Melbourne. Don't bomb it in long. Let May and Lever dominate in the air. They lowered the eyes and found targets. And the way they moved the ball was great. And then what was it 15, 16 points down in the 20th minute mark of the last quarter? You thought, game over. Melbourne aren't going to lose this. They didn't give up. We know there was a couple of dodgy free kicks. But still, to have the courage to go and, and win that game was brilliant. So best win of the year for mine. I enjoyed that. What was your low light, Nicholas? The Eagles. The Eagles. The homesick Eagles. Oh, homesick, the Eagles that they? are making me feel sick. And I'm <laughs> sick of seeing this. Oh, they annoy me. Um, how can a team have such differing form yeah. from home, home compared away. to away. Um, if you if you look at the games they've won at home, like they've, they've been in Port Adelaide by seven goals at yeah. home. They've been in Collingwood. They've been in Freo. They smashed Freo by 10 goals. Um, they've been in Gold Coast. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, but then you look at their away form, 97 points to Geelong. Yeah. And then 20 points to St Kilda. And we know how, Saint Kil- how bad St Kilda are. Um, and now the Giants, who you listed their injuries before, that was a game that West Coast had to win and they didn't. And yeah. there's some serious issues well, going on yeah, there. It gives you doubts, doesn't it? Because it started last year, Gordo, when when they went to the hub and I was shocking in the hub. They, they can't play when they don't sleep in their own bed. It's weird. But their pressure rating is the worst by any team since 2015. By any team, what, what but, the pressure, but the pressure rating is not part of their game. Like they, yeah. they like to kick and mark and that sort of thing. It's it's normal. But when you when you're facing a team and you want to make a statement, to get done in the tackles, forty six to seventy nine means you're not chasing and you don't care. Yeah. So they nearly got over the, over the line because they were you know big talls marking up forward, slotting goals. They were efficient when they went in, but they were just they looked. 
like they weren't giving us stuff around the contest. And it's annoying for Adam Simpson, annoying for us because we bloody tipped them, um, that they're, they're doing that because I thought maybe this is the week that they're starting to get in their groove. Maybe they can play away from home. Like reality check, if you want to win a premiership, you're not going to be playing too many games oh, at absolutely. Perth. Absolutely. So, you have to come down to Melbourne does, at some does stage. Does the crowd really make that much of a factor for them? I don't is it know really that it much? He's got to find a way. What if was you your? Look at, oh, but if sorry. you look at win loss percentage, though, I think we overplay this sometimes because basically, if you travel into state, you're starting with like a two goal lead. It's sixty percent for home teams this year. Like that's, I mean, that's, that's the win goal, loss record. Like not it, a lead, as in the home team starts. The home team starts yeah, yeah, with yeah, a two. That's like what like you mean. that's that's not uncommon for teams to lose when they have to travel into state. Yeah, but it's it's uncommon for the Eagles to be that poor when they go into state and so contrast like from home to, yeah, to away. Like That's to the difference. Like, goal wins yeah, it's like they look like, like a second-rate team. That was the thing. They look like it's not yeah, that defeats. they lost. It was kind of the, the, yeah. the way they're playing. What was your low light? Well, my low light initially was going to be said the no defence Saints, but actually yeah. it's just the no idea Saints because as you were bringing up the stats and saying, you know, their clangers were within the realms of acceptability. That's fair enough. But 19% inside 50 efficiency. Oh, that was shocking. It was that was shocking with the ball. That was shocking oh, without the ball. They gave up. They were, it was the, the bulldog pressure. It was the bulldog pressure as well that led them to the turnovers, and then bulldogs springboarding from yeah. one end of the ground to the other. And that's why we've been. That's why I've been saying all year is that they have a relevancy now. <laughs> irrelevant. They do. You love that word irrelevant. But they do have a relevancy because where are they? No, I, I'm not going to you know to do all the cliches. What's their DNA? What's their brand? But like, really, that's a legitimate question. If they think, what if they is? thought coming into this season they were going to contend for finals. And they don't even try against the top two side. Well, that's and, it, the, and like it's the it's the worst thing for a commentator to say. It's like they're not trying, but like it's hard to watch that game on the weekend and say that they were. They're such an emotional team, and that's what I was saying a few weeks ago. Like when things are going their way, they're great, but as soon as there's any pushback, mm. they fold. Five minutes into that game, you knew they'd lost it. They were done. And how like how do you? Bring that up. Like Brett Ratner is a good coach, but there's something going on with that group that they're very, very emotional. Now, look, I'll, I'll name the Saints that they're missing. Carlisle, Gresham, Hannabury, Zach Jones, Kent, Marshall, Mackenzie, Patton. They're plays that can make a difference. And when they're in, you can see a difference, but they, you shouldn't have to rely on that, should you? No. Like a, a few weeks back when they made that statement game, Hill and Zach Jones said, stuff this, we're taking this game by the scruff of the neck and we're going to prove a point. But you shouldn't have to need a couple of boys to – you know, that should be a cultural thing. So that that's a big problem. The one thing I did like from the Saints, on your boy's opinion on this, is Simon Lethleen, the general manager of football, he fronted up and had an interview and said, it's not good enough. You can blame me, don't blame Radden. And the president, Andrew Bassett, he sent a letter to members yesterday and he because he felt compelled that he wanted um, to tell the members something and say it's not good enough what we're doing. But there was something in that letter, which I didn't like. And he said, when they went through these trades and they were picking their list, they felt comfortable with these players that they'd be contending. The real year they're contending is 2022. So they weren't really worried about this. Now I think that's a bit of a spin because their window was definitely this year. Well, if your window is next year, your window is this year. Well, that's the point. Like you don't incrementally improve year on year. You're not going to, not many teams, Brisbane did it, but not many teams go from way outside the eight, not contending. They're equal last for quarters one this year. Adelaide, North and St Kilda have won 12. I think with the players that they got. Yeah, I know. The, The players that they got, it, they're not like, oh, next year they'll be mature. No, it, it's the window was this you year. You get Brad Hill well. to win this year. I think it was a little bit of a spin and trying to make the fans happy and say, hey, next year we're still in the window. So, But I think there's still something to take out of this season. They've got three three winnable games coming up in, in a row. They're playing North this week. They can't lose the North. Well, they definitely so, can if they show up like they did on the weekend. Um, so I think they've got a couple of winnable. I think they've got Sydney and then Adelaide and the bye. So 
I mean, if they, they should win, they those, should win two out of big, three. It's a big turnaround if they if they do that. Um, that was your low light. Brilliant. Low I've light. got some <laughs> some tweets and emails uh, to get through. This is from Dario Casale, who's he's contributed every week. So very happy with his contribution. So boys, give him a little clap. Thank you, Dario. <laughs> that sounded so bad. All right. <laughs> I understand, he says, I understand we should protect the head always, especially with all the stuff going on with CTE. But what can the AFL do so ridiculous decisions like this aren't made? And he refers to the Holman uh, incident. That was the report. It know, was shocking. They... It is such an overcorrection. So firstly, there's no secondary movement, no sling. It's an unfortunate outcome from a football act. That is what happened. It is not a two-week suspension. It's ridiculous. Do you happen to have on hand what the classification yeah, is for Yeah, I do. I do. I do. He said it was a dangerous tackle. How can it be and a deemed it, And deemed it careless conduct, was, high impact and high contact, which draws a two-match. So back. that's the part I understand, yeah. The careless conduct is like what I don't understand because it's not careless. It's, it, not. it's actually like for it to make any sense, he'd have to go harder. He'd have to say like deliberate yeah, like, because there was no carelessness about that. He, he, made, a running, very so good, he made a very legitimate, deliberate tackle. Absolutely. So either he had to he say, like, he tried to kill perfectly. the guy. Or, and he got a free kick yeah. for it, did he not? Yeah, so, yeah, he got it holding the ball for a kick. So that's the thing. What What is the next step here? Is this just, it goes to the tribunal, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, he gets off. And is that just, you just say, okay, that just that was just a big mistake and it won't happen again? Or does some sort of ruling have to come into this? Because we had these guidelines in place so he could classify this, you know, like he's done, careless conduct, high impact, high conduct. And then you, you It is super concerning a, when a, a legitimate two, tackle two ends up with an automatic two-week, has to take a tribunal, defend yourself, but you can punch someone in the guts off the ball well, or elbow the them in the head it's and, it's outcome, a, and it's a couple it's of thousand dollars. It's all outcome related, yeah. which is ridiculous, and I've, we've brought this yeah. up before. So it, it can't just be based on the outcome. What it has was to the be, intent? It has to be the, the action, not the outcome. And that is has it a football be. act? That's the two questions. Yeah, exactly. What about this one, Kyle Hardigan? That wasn't mm. a football act. So the thing is here, I yeah. want to ask Nico because um, look, Gary Lyon, listening to him, he said he's lucky not to get five weeks. He elbowed um, Sammy Walsh in the head. Right, and the thing was though, my uh, Gordo, you've probably got an opinion on this. There was no footage from the AFL. This was captured on a fan's phone. So could they go and challenge that and go? You can't suspend him because the AFL didn't get vision of it. Or you go, oh, we got vision either way, so we got to suspend because the actual action is a suspension. No, they elbowed him in the head. But shouldn't the AFL have vision of that? Well, it'd be interesting to see what they do because, yeah, in I suppose in like. Le- like actual legal systems, evidence has to be verified and certified and acquired in appropriate ways. So you can't, yeah, but- I can't secretly film you and then use that evidence in court unless it's being verified and blah, 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 blah. So I'd be interested to know if they can do that in the AFL tribunal. I'm yeah. not au fair on that information. Your, your opinion yeah, was that you didn't think the, the concept was sufficient enough <laughs> no, because no, no, Harry no, Mackay didn't, didn't remonstrate. I didn't say that. I said yeah. the evidence provided was not conclusive because yeah, it's taken up from the stands by a fan's phone and the vision isn't actually showing like the hit. You don't you you couldn't even tell if there was contact made. For for all we know, for all we know, Hardigan could have just lifted his arm. And, and there was dive. no com- contact. No, this is the difference. Here. No, 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 I'm just saying that if he did make contact, by all means, give him five, six weeks. This is not a biased opinion on my behalf. I don't care if they suspend him. It's not going to make much of a difference for Hawthorne, believe me. But 
I just think, like like Gordon said, if you go to court without conclusive evidence, no one's going to jail. But that, yeah. So what, how can you give someone three weeks well, and you don't you even can, know that there was contact? The thing is, what you do in, in like if it's a local footy tribunal, there's no vision. So you go in and you say, "Hey, what happened?" So okay. they get that, they so get that right it, all the time. Well, they don't get it right, but I'm <laughs> saying if if you the thing was um, McCoy was blindsided. He actually didn't see the contact. Neither player so, reacted, Gordon. Neither, still, that Walsh, mean Walsh got contact. up and didn't even look at Hardigan. Mackay <laughs> yeah, was right next knocked, to him. Got knocked out. Mackay didn't defend him or anything. Yeah, it just seems a bit uh, sus to me. Oh, Nicholas, a bit sus. That's, that's right. All. Fair enough. Fair enough. S- that's suspend him if he did of it. Of Did Sam Walsh get asked about it? Well, he hasn't made a comment on it. Exactly. So, so how can you suspend someone not, for three weeks? You know why? Because they're nothing. not challenging it. There's no they're, evidence. They're not challenging it. It's He's given three weeks and he said, yeah, I'll cop my three weeks. So he obviously lifted the elbow and elbowed him. Otherwise, he'd challenge it. All right. Um, <laughs> the next one, yeah. we're not going to talk about Marlon Pickett because I believe that's a footy act. I hope he gets off. But by the time you're listening, maybe he's got a week. Who knows? All right. Luca Dodoni asked us, who is closer to a premiership, Carlton or Essendon? Neither. Gordon first. <laughs> Gordon, it. uh, it's an equal. It's an equal race to never. Carlton oh. should be. They should Carlton's have some respect. I don't. I don't think watching respect. Carlton on the weekend close up. They went much better than Hawthorne. You don't rate anyone that played. They don't. Hawthorne. No, they back from were Hawthorne not. Games going mate, Carlton should be playing <laughs> finals this year. The way their list is at at the no, moment, well, we they should be playing. Did finals. we put them in the eight? They couldn't. We hit all a target. put them in the eight. They couldn't hit a target in the fourth quarter. Exactly. Essendon's better but with the footy not, in hand. But that's not the question. The question is Essendon so, or Carlton. See, so Essendon's better with footy in their hand, but. We've seen in the last four yeah, to five. I, I disagree. You reckon? Yeah, yeah. Like the stat, they, they cause a lot of turn. Like when they put the pressure on, their stats are horrific from conceding from turnover. Like they give it away, but they they look better when they're running forward and that sort of thing. Yeah, like they're appealing. So I think I think potentially Carlton has better structures and they're slightly more mature, so they're further along the line. I think based on pure potential. And maybe we're buying too much into the Essendon fanfare now. Look, look all our great kids under 21. No, I think but I think still have the better kids. Yeah. It's they 10 do. games in. They it's do. very early for Essendon. I like yeah. what they're doing. But if you look, say you can build a team around some players, if you like section it out, forward line, uh, Mackay, Kerno, right, two big forwards you can build around that. Cripps and Sam Walsh in the middle. Weedering, you get another key, maybe not Jones, but then you've got rebounders, William Saad, Doherty, you know. They, they, well, just the kids alone, like we, like you said, like yeah. Weedering, Mackay and Walsh alone exactly. is a lot better. I mean, than they've got Nick Cox, Essendon Harry Jones, Archie Perkins, you know, the recruits of Peter Wright and Nick Hind, you know, they've been good. but There's potential. There's potential, absolutely. but not yeah. yet. It's 10 games in, I yeah. think Carlton are. They only need a few things to go their way and they can turn it around. I know you don't believe it. But when you say a few things turn around, is that turn around and get into the eight or turn around and become a top four? Type? Turn around and, and become um, competitive because in 2016, Richmond finished 13th and nobody could see them competing. The next year they win the flag. So it could just, a, you know, just a little tweak here and there. Don't give up on them. And Sean Woody Woodward is not giving up on him. He just wanted to make a comment about Carlton. He said, a win's a win. Good to get it over a team we had a 2-17 record over. Stocker is promising. Brody Kemp had 17 touches in the twos as well. Speaking of that record, Nico, you noticed that the last time uh, Carlton beat the Hawks at the MCG, that was the day Sam Walsh was born. Yeah, 2000, the year 2000. Crazy, wasn't it? Yeah. 23-point win. It's it was a long time. It was good enough. They did. It was a it was an ugliish win, wasn't it, from the Blues? But they it got was. over the it line. Was, it was certainly. That's all you want from them, really. It wasn't it's, anything pretty, that's for sure. They needed to win that. And Sam Doherty's role in the wing was good, I thought. I like, uh, yeah, he got me my multi, so I was happy with that. Um, but yeah, I, I reckon Williams needs to play in the midfield more, you know? I know it gives Doherty an opportunity to 
to go up the ground, but you've you've bringing in this guy who's apparently on what is he eight hundred thousand a year to yeah. play off. It was the his best game line. of the season for yeah. sure, but um, yeah, you can't. Re- it's hard to make a judgment when you're going up against Hawthorne or even North Melbourne at the moment, especially because they're going to be sides as we get further and further into the season that want to shut the game down. Like Hawthorne isn't going to play footy against you. They're going to play a bit of any. They're going to let you have the ball as mm-hmm. much as you want it. Yeah. So is yeah. this this is Clarko's worst record ever after ten rounds? Do you know that, Nick? Oh, great. I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised. They're um, giving it to Tom Mitchell. It's all part in, of the rebuild. Trust the process. <laughs> Trust the process. <laughs> They're giving it to Tom Mitchell too much in, in spaces mm. that he shouldn't be. Like, I'm really looking forward to the off season and what they do with oh, these I star bet players. I bet you are. I don't know. I don't even know what I want to see, but um, it's going to be interesting. This was a long message from Adam P. Montes, Um, So just listen and, and give mm-hmm. your thoughts. And I agree with him. So we don't have to add too much to it. He said, Hey mate, I'd like to weigh in on the free kick debate. It's been a debacle since the final series of 2016. For quite some time prior to the finals of 2016, there was some consistency with holding the ball and deliberates. It was strict and in some cases harsh, but it was consistent. Now, those two areas of ease and other rules have become the focus. High contact in marking contests, blocking for a mark to name two stupid ones. That's the frustration. The block is not consistent because players still do it and get away with it. Blocking, shepherding, it's always been part of the game. The high contact in marking contests is sometimes just part of the play, just like a rundown tackle where a guy hits his head on the ground. We all know if someone deliberately whacks a guy, it's a free, but a hand and brushes someone's hair, please. That's that's too much. The AFL need to stick to the perfect holding the ballroom, which is a key part of the game and the deliberate rules so the play continues to flow. And balling up more would really help play flow. There are way too many packs being created and poor skills at the bottom of packs. It is too hard to go back to the 80s and 90s way of ball ups. That is, if it's locked up, ball it up. Don't wait for the rock nominations. Just two guys from each club can go at it and hit it out. Is that too simple or is Steve Hocking making the game better? Hmm. I agree with a lot of what he said, actually. Mm. And, you know, I've been pretty vocal against the umpires oh, yes. over the last few years. Mate, I've been going <laughs> on about this for a while and now it's finally starting to, you know, pick up some traction in the media. But, yeah, I, I totally agree. The one, the rule I hate the most, though, is the ruck rule. like The nomination? No, not the nomination. Just, like, mark uh, rucking infringements yeah. or whatever it's called. Because sometimes I see... I mean, they call the most obscure <laughs> just ruck picky, calls. It's one-on-one. like, And then geez. I see like pushes in the back in the ruck contest that don't get caught. I didn't want to mention like, Richmond, but th- that one against Nankervis on Friday oh, night. My I God, know. But does anyone crazy. actually know what a mar- uh, rucking infringement is? Because well, I don't. I could not go, pick you, one out. It's vaguely the same as like a marking If you go contest, the player yeah, and not the, the ball, ball, like, yeah. but still, it's just, it's, it's impeding it's, on their it's, it's impeding on their ability to play the ball in the ruck. Which it's, is actually it, the it role a, of a, an opposing. It is a anyway. contest against yeah, you know yeah. two players, but yeah. I just don't get. And it. just on the holding the ball, I, everything you said, I agree with. Um, I just the the holding the ball this week, and I thought it was improved a little bit because they were paying what actually holding the ball was. They weren't given too much pride. If you don't handball or kick, it's a free kick, and the game flowed a bit better. So for the most part, I think they got that. On that note right. then, would we prefer umpires? So the end of the match has been a big issue this week. Do we prefer umpires hold their whistle at the end of games or nah, lean, on, lean on the other side? But no, so we're gonna, they're going to get it wrong probably. <laughs> you're yeah? gonna be, you're they, gonna they're be not going to Ideally, they should be perfect. They're not. If they're going to muck up, do you want to muck up on the leniency side or they're going to muck up on two strict I'll, side? I want to see consistency. Yeah, that's all. Because, I know it, it's hard because to if, do. if something but doesn't if get called. I reckon the whole game, like if you're going to be not strict, just keep it consistent then. Don't play them all game and then in the last minute go, oh, 
I don't have the courage to pay that. Yeah. Oh, we'll just let exactly. it go. Yeah. If That's that was in when Melbourne, get angry. If that was yeah. in Melbourne, that is deliberate. Every day of the week, and he's paying it. I don't buy the AFL coming out and saying, "Well, th- he said the umpire thought there was a man in that area, and he 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 didn't have the best vision, and he made a mistake, mate." I think he saw it, mm-hmm. and I think he didn't want to pay it. I've got four quick questions for you, boys, before we wrap up. What's been a really good discussion? Mark Robinson and David King have put a line through Richmond. Robbo did it a couple of weeks ago. King did it on Monday. What about you two? You can Richmond. So his point was, so I'll be, I'll be specific is King. He said they can't make the top four. Therefore they cannot win the flag. They definitely can make the top four because I, I did look at their fixture and I can only probably see them losing three more games for the rest of the year. That's, you know, if there's no other upsets included, Yeah, but yeah, I, I I don't know if they can win the premiership from where they're at. It's going to take a massive effort. So it's a yes or no? It's a no. Yeah, I'll okay. put a line through them. Line through them. Who else finishes in the top four, do you reckon, then? It's it's pretty much like so set. I haven't, I haven't analysed every uh, team's fixture, but it's definitely Melbourne and Bulldogs Doggies. finishing. So there's, there's – so – Geelong, you, I think, finishes. So that's good. So that's good for <laughs> Richmond, yeah? So you got you got Bulldogs, Melbourne, Geelong – if the finals keep being played the way they Those are, set. no, no, but if the finals get playing the way they are, Richmond, if they have to win every week, will play every week in Melbourne again. If they finish, they play, if, they finish oh no, fifth, if they finish fifth or sixth, then the doggies game will get moved to MCG. They, they play six, the cats of, game will six get moved of the to last, they get play, play six of the last nine at the G, the Tigers yeah. do. Okay, so they'll get, they theoretically, can, so they can play good. every week at the G for finals. By yeah. finishing outside the top four. Yeah, so I think there's still a shot even if the, they finish the argument was, so, No, sorry. The argument was is that they don't – do they still – they've lost games at the G now. Is that still that, you know – But it's still easier to win at the G for them to travel – if they had to travel oh, to yeah. Brisbane or had to travel to Port, yeah, less so that, now. That, but, that's theoretically speaking though. Yeah. But, you know, how mentally and physically draining is it to win uh, a stretch of – 15 games or 12 games, however. They've basically, done it. They've then, basically done it every year they won the final. I'll say this, finals, Nico. Exactly, but surely, you know, they're starting to take a toll. It's so, taking a toll on them and they'll start slowing down like they've shown. Fair enough. But this is what, so 2019, Richmond was seven and six at the bye. This season, if they win the games they should, they should be seven and five at the bye. They played six of the last nine at the G. 2019, they played seven of the last nine at the G. It is eerily similar to 2019. Hmm. That's all I'm saying. I, and I would have panicked. I, I think only one team has won the flag from five and five in recent memory anyway, mm. and that was Sydney in 2005, and they played such a defensive lockdown style. I so just, you've put a line through them. Gordo hasn't yet because he knows Cochin, Prestia, Lambert, Bolton, and Edwards are coming back, and <laughs> it's a pretty good run home. You know, he's still back. <laughs> in I'll tell you what, though. So, I'll tell you what. You're but, lucky. Lucky you got the win last week against the Giants because you would not want to be, what, six, four and six. That's true. Second question. That wasn't very quick. That wasn't quick as I thought. Has has that loss to Adelaide made you think differently about Melbourne? Yes and no. It's a game that they – on the fence. No, but it's a game – you can overreact to a loss like that. You can say, oh, they're cooked, their culture's cooked, they got ahead of themselves. Like every team has to lose, and we see this in all sports. It happens in the Premier League. Big team goes away to the to a cellar dweller. It means more to them than it means to the big team. The little team gets a win. The big team still wins the, wins the title. Yeah. Melbourne is still a very good football side this year. They've got heaps of talent. So, so that's more of a no. It's more – I think they're fine. Okay. I think yeah, they're yeah fine. I agree with yep. Gordon. 100% reaction. Yeah, I haven't thought differently of them because of it. That's mm. fine. No. Um, 
Good. This is the last one, okay? And uh, maybe just a yes or no, we'll see. All right? so, <laughs> do you think the AFL coming out and addressing these decisions at the end of games, like the deliberate one, in tight contests, does that help? Are you happy with them to do that? They've done it three times now where the umpires got the wrong call at the end of the game. Does that help? Or would you rather the AFL don't say anything? Just get it right. Get it right <laughs> slash, yeah, you need to address the mistakes you make. You need to address it, yeah. So you're happy with them coming out and saying it. Like a Monday model that the NRL has. So Graham Annesley comes out and does like a recap and says like, you know, it's mm. so in this example it would be like holding the ball has been an issue for the last three weeks. Here's the stats on holding the ball. Here's what we told the umpires. But do it on a Monday because it's, it's similar to like coaches' press conferences. Like if a coach loses, loses a tight one and you ask him a tri- like a prickly question, they're going to give you donuts anyway. So there's not a lot of point doing in the – in the heat of the emotions, do it on a Monday, give us the other information. Those that actually care will find it. Those that don't will just get angry anyway. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't do it straight after the game. Okay, so that's a long way to say no. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, it's, I think it's all right. It stops the chat. You come out and say, look, we stuffed it up, we're sorry, and it ends the chat then and it's – But if you do it every week, can, it doesn't – No, you don't want to do it every yeah. week. I've done it three times this year yeah. and that's kind of enough. Get it right. Um, boys, all right, brilliant chat. Let's end off now. Quick tips, all right? Very quick tips. This is early. We haven't read into it. This is gut feel tips. Very nice and quick. Yep. Nicholas, I've got them here. You don't have to pull out your phone. That's but you right. can if you want. Bulldogs versus Melbourne. Dogs. Dogs. I'm umming and ahhing. I'm going dogs just because of their back line. We're just going to be going for all the favourites. I'm right? just got no. You know what? I might. Well, see. I might change it to Melbourne because you know the dogs. Oh, the are bounce vul- back as well. So the bounce back game. The dogs are vulnerable. Big win. Big win versus Tina has to bounce back. Marvel Stadium though. Dogs down back are vulnerable. One on ones. Just saying. Collingwood v Geelong. Geelong. Geelong by Geelong. plenty. Brisbane v GWS. Brisbane. Ooh. Brisbane just. Brisbane. St Kilda v North. Oh, jeez. Burn that game. Burn that game. Uh, St. Kilda. St. Kilda will come in. North, going with it. <laughs> Is that your real gut feel, though? Probably not, but... <laughs> you saying it. It's fine. St. Kilda, I'll happily, I'll happily shout out. Gold Coast v. Hawthorne. Ooh. Gold Coast. I want to say Hawthorne. It's, it's Gold Coast. At Gold Coast, obviously. It's yeah. Gold Coast. Uh, Coast. T.O. Stadium. Oh, it's in, uh, oh, it's in Darwin. Darwin. It's in Darwin. That could change things. That could change things. Darwin. Yeah. There's been a bit of problem actually there. Nah, Gold Coast. Also, I want to get Surreoli to the game, but he's, uh, he's, he's unhappy. He's not happy. He doesn't want to. He's, he's not happy with Jeff Kennett. Yeah, that's since the airport well, that saga was, thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, he hasn't been back to the club since. He said something about Cyril's girlfriend. I don't know what it is. I've yeah. heard rumours. Uh, yeah. Nothing serious, really. Bad juju going for the Suns then. West Coast. I'm going for the Suns. For the Suns. West Coast v Essendon. Um, West, Coast. West Coast at home. Yeah, it's West Coast, West Coast, Coast by 100 points and they'll lose away the week after. And Richmond v Adelaide. Oh, well, so I guess at the MCG. Yeah, yeah. Adelaide, Adelaide Adelaide, played their yeah, uh, grand final last week. So. That's it. Sydney v Carlton. Sydney. 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 It just confirms the fact. Carlton aren't there yet. Sydney, Sydney are in the eight. Sydney, Carlton aren't. Yeah. Last one, Port Adelaide v Freo. Port Adelaide. <laughs> Do we really do? I mean, he's he loves his Dockers. This <laughs> I love the Dockers. You love the Dockers. Like up against the Swans in a they tight did. game. They did you want them to make the eight? He wants them to make the eight. Every round them? needs an upset. Yeah, tip him. Yeah, he's got saying Freo. Good old guys, Freo. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a good chat today. Really enjoyed it. Hashtag the gym session. Please get involved and send all your abuse Gordo's way. He loves it. Thanks, guys. Take care of yourselves.